Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where we'll be looking at verses 1 through 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, page number 554 in your pew Bibles. And while you're turning to that passage of scripture, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Anya Hall and, and, and associates. <laughs> The sermon series, uh, this right now, is on the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've said before that it's, um, I believe, written at the end of Solomon's life, after Solomon repented of his sin, which his sin was simply turning away from God. Some might say it was just plain spiritual apathy. I think it was probably a little bit more um, rebellious than that, but it very well may have been just a plain old lackadaisical spiritual apathy. Um, being led astray to worship other gods by his many, many wives. Um, it's, I've said it this way. It's old man Solomon's letter to his 18-year-old self after he repented of his sin. Ecclesiastes teaches us, one of the main things that it teaches us over and over again, is that we have limitations. We're created beings. We have restraints. We are confined and there is joy and liberation in remembering that. That fact is, is a wonderful fact. It's good for us to know and keep in mind. It leads to laughter. It can make us more lighthearted. It can lead to joy. And which is why I've called this sermon series Joy at the End of the, of the Tether, which is one of the books that I, I use in my resources. Now, what we're looking at these days are, are longer passages, and so I'm not reading really the passage of Scripture at the very beginning and then having you seated and then working through it. But instead, throughout the sermon, I will read the, the passage at different times. But let me pray, and then we'll be seated, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would guide us during uh, this time together looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Holy Spirit, do indeed lead us. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Today's passage, um, these first eight verses in particular, are very well known to some of you more than others. If you're in a little bit of the older generation, you might uh, remember this uh, song made popular uh, or made, uh, I guess, in popular music in the 1960s, uh, it, was, it became well-known, song by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. So I had to listen to it again this week just to kind of make sure um, that I was a little bit understanding that. It's beautiful poetry, these first eight verses. And it's essentially verbatim in the birds' uh, 1965, I think it was, uh, classic hit, um, that they, they pretty much work through these eight verses verbatim. It's beautiful poetry, as I said. They're true. This, 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 these things are true. You don't have to be a Christian to observe these facts of life. As a matter of fact, a lot of times at a funeral, even of an atheist, you might, someone might read these first eight verses. It wouldn't be uncommon for these verses to be read uh, at the funeral of an atheist. Because, again, these things are true. Man knows these things to be true. Deep down, man recognizes these things. But it takes verses 9 through 22 to really lead you into joy. 
It takes verses 9 through 22 to make you both a humble and hopeful man or woman. The, the key word in verses 1 through 8 is, um, is time. I think it's 29 times, if I remember correctly, that the word time shows up in those first eight verses. But the key concept in the following verses, 9 through 22 through the end of the chapter, the key, con- the key concept there is still time-oriented, but the word I would use is eternity. And so it's important to keep these two things, time and eternity, in the front part of our minds. Because it's time and eternity that will keep you both humble and hopeful. Humble and hopeful. So these are the two points in that theme. Here's number one. Thinking about time keeps us humble. Thinking about time keeps us humble. And there are three reasons for this. Number one is time is outside of our control. We don't have control over time. Now, it's interesting that this passage, it doesn't, these first eight verses in particular, they don't tell us to do anything. They just tell us the way things are. And what is, is time, seasons, rhythms in life. And these are things that you and I have zero control over. Beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time for peace. You can't read through that without being reminded of the ebbs and flows of life. We, we don't make these things. There are seasons. There are cadences to life that we have absolutely zero control over. God is the one who is the Lord of time. Not me. And not you. And this passage, again, it's just very clear. God is over these things. Seasons. Joys. Sorrows. Mourning. War. Love. Hatred. Life is full of very, very good times. Life is full of very, very bad times. Easy times. Hard times. Active times where, where there's just a richness and a fullness to life. Whether it be a day or a season of your life. And then times that are just sort of in between. Monotonous. Boring even. God is Lord of time, not us. Now, if you know your Bibles well, you might think, well, there's a couple of exceptions, you know, in the Old Testament. And you might recall um, one time in in Joshua chapter 10, the Bible tells us the story 
of the day when the sun and the moon stopped. These are the verses, a couple of verses from that. Joshua chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. It is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. And then there's in Second Kings chapter 20, we read about the sun's shadow going backwards. I won't read that one for the sake of time, but you know you might think, well, those are exceptions. Well, are they really exceptions? I think not actually, because an exception would mean that there were a couple of times when man had control over time and he changed his mind or something. But Joshua didn't really stop time. Isaiah didn't really stop time. All they could do as men, created beings who don't have control over time, is ask the one who does have control over time for an extension or a reversal of time. And the Lord did cause time to pause. He did make it go backwards because He's the one who has the ability to answer prayers. So these two cases, in a sense, don't prove that man has control over mind. Actually, just the opposite. They prove that we live in God's world. And if there's going to be any change in time, any pause, any reversal of time or of anything, again, joys, sorrows, war, love, hatred, all these things, these are things that, we, that are just a part of life, seasons, cadences, rhythms. We don't have any control over them. All we can do is talk to the one who does about them. Time belongs to the Lord. And remembering that keeps us humble. And then second, not only is time outside our control, but experiences in time are outside our control. Time itself and then our experiences in time are outside our control. This passage, like I said, it uses the word, here's, here's my note, <laughs> that 29 times that we, we have that in there. But what's also interesting to note in this passage are these, again, varied or extreme experiences that we all have in time, in life. Life is filled with war, um, tears, dancing, killing, touching, mourning, hating. And when we experience these wars and, 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 and mourning, and we, we're reminded that we live under the curse. John Steinbeck, two weeks in a row to reference him, one of his more famous novels is, is uh, East of Eden. And you might think, where, where did he get that title from? He gets it from Genesis chapter 3. After sin, man was cast out of the garden and the cherubim were placed on the east side of the garden because they were tossed east of Eden. That's the way we all live our lives, east of Eden, under the curse. And so not only... Our experiences outside our control, you know, oftentimes there's just no chronological sequence. There doesn't seem to be any order. There doesn't seem to be any purpose to these things. And, and this is just driven home when we realize we don't have much control at all over these experiences in our lives. One article put it this way. We don't step up to the counter with God as the clerk and order, quote, three hours of happiness today and next week I'll take just 20 minutes of sorrow. Following that, I want to move on to an entirely new chapter of my life that will be very successful. And then in three years, I'll take moving on from there to something new. It's not the way it works, is it? 
You don't know what tomorrow holds, nor do I. God is not the one behind the, behind the counter taking orders from you and me. We're the ones who eat what He serves up. Time is outside our control. Our experiences in time are outside our control. And then third, relationships in time are outside our control. And we're, we are relational beings. We're, we're created in the image of God. God is three in one, three persons in one. And so God Himself is by nature a relational being. And we're created in His, in his image. So we are relational beings. And most of the seasons of our lives are taken up navigating the different stages of our relationships and the effects of those different stages in our relationships. In this passage, again, it talks about the seasons in the world, war and peace and on and on. But you you think about it in this section of Scripture, most of this poem is about relationships. Most of this poem is about relationships and the changing of relationships. One commentary phrases it this way, We dance at a wedding and we mourn the death of the one we danced with. We laugh together and weep for what the people we used to laugh with have done to us. We reach out and touch one day, but a short time later, there's an awkwardness or an emotional wall that has been set up by someone else. We grow grow to love some people and then we are trying not to hate them. You know, we check the weather most every day. Some of you, multiple times a day. <laughs> I was in a conversation uh, with the with some folks we were vacationing with back in January, and I said, "So, you know, when you when somebody says something to you about going on a vacation somewhere, you know, what do you what's the first thing you think of? Personally, I think of food. What are the things I'm going to get to eat? And um, and I joked that my wife. Uh, the first thing she does is think about well, what's the weather like there, you know. So you know everybody has their different things. Some of you really get into the weather, and when most of us check it, you know, every day. But we don't set really the seasons of life just by the patterns of the sun and the moon. Most of the time, our times are marked by, for example, being a daughter and and sister, and then being a, a, a wife and lover, and then being a mother. And, and then being a, a grandmother, and then being a widow. And, you know, the, these are the sorts of things that kind of mark our seasons of life. Relational things. These are the seasons God gives, and, and no one escapes these relationships or these, these stages. The time God grants us, the times that He grants us are bound to the presence or absence of relationships. So time itself, verses 1 through 8, teaches us is outside our control. Our experiences in time are outside our control. And relationships in time are in many ways outside our control. And if you'll remember that, if you'll keep that in mind, it'll help you be humble. It'll, it'll help you be realize and remember how small we really are in this world. Second, though, not only does thinking about time keep us humble, thinking about eternity keeps us hopeful. Thinking about eternity keeps us hopeful. There's one thing that's clear from this passage in verses 9 and following. We realize that God exists outside of time. 
He exists from all eternity, and he will continue throughout all eternity. Let me read from verses seven. I'm sorry, from verses nine to the end. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, that was last week's sermon was basically that verse. Verse 14, I perceive that wherever, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous. And the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they, that they may see them, that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man, what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. And I'll just say here, there, just as a, as a side note, I think this the way it's phrased here in English makes us think that what Solomon is saying, yeah, it's anybody's guess what happens. No, that's not at all what he's saying. I mean, in multiple places, especially in chapter 12 or 7, he affirms that the spirit goes up. So he's not saying, hey, it's anybody's guess. Uh, he's, it's a rhetorical question. Who knows? God does. Verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better than a, than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, one thing that's clear from this passage is that our great God exists outside of time. From all eternity, and He will continue throughout all eternity. And this passage makes clear that man knows deep down that there is such a thing, concept, as eternity. There's a, there was a book that I first heard about, I think, in college in the 80s called um, Eternity in Their Hearts. It was written by Don Richardson, who was a missionary and um, wrote, um, a, I think his best-selling book was called Peace Child. Um, but it, in the, Amazon, <clears throat> the Amazon blurb about eternity in, in their hearts, uh, he says, Don Richardson has studied cultures throughout the world and found startling evidence of belief in the one true God within hundreds of them. In eternity in their hearts, Richardson gives fascinating real-life examples of ways people groups have exhibited terms and concepts in their histories that have prepared them for the gospel. Man knows deep down that there is such a thing as eternity. And I think man also knows that we are not in control over it. We are not in control over eternity. This is freeing. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's liberating. Not having any power over eternity. It just gives us hope. And let me give you just several reasons why it gives us hope. 
Number one, over time, uh, we prove that we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, not having any power over eternity gives us hope because over time we prove that we don't know what we're doing. We don't have any right to have any power over authority. We don't have any, there's no justification for us having any power over authority, any ability to be a part of judgment. I mean, we can't pick the right stocks. We can't, uh, we, don't, we don't know how or when to discipline our children. We can't even remember if we took our blood pressure medications in the morning. <laughs> the one thing that we all do well over time is just mess things up. The longer we live, the more sin we commit. The longer we're alive, the, 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 the more hurts we experience, the more we hurt people. The longer we live, the, we, we just show how inept and feckless we are. I know that deep down, we're all full of pride and, and, we, and we think we know what's best for everybody else and, and, and that if they would listen to us, then their lives would be great. But, I mean, really, if we're really honest, if God were to show up and say, Michael, you know what, I'm putting you in charge for a little while. You do whatever you want in Ukraine. You do whatever you want um, uh, with this couple that's struggling with infertility. You do whatever you want with, with cancer, with that illness and how it affects people's lives. I don't want that. I don't have that ability. I don't, I don't, that's an overwhelming fantasy. The reality is we would be hopeless without knowing that there is a God who is over time and eternity. Who's quite capable, quite skilled, quite knowledgeable, and thankfully in charge. And not having authority again, it just gives us hope. Because we are assured that there is a God who orders all things well. Number two, another reason why... Knowing that we don't have authority over eternity gives us hope is because eternity means judgment. And judgment is a good thing. Eternity means judgment and judgment is good. This idea of eternity reminds us of judgment. Of course, the idea of judgment is even mentioned in this passage. And judgment means a couple of things. One, judgment means that God will make all things right. That's what judgment means. God will make all things right. Right. And so you know what that means then? It means you don't have to. You and I don't have to busy ourselves, concern ourselves, worry ourselves with being, uh, with making sure that everything is right and fixed and just. I definitely don't want to, you know, the, the fantasy about being in charge. I definitely don't want to be in charge of justice. There's no way I could get that right. God will make all things right. And so you don't have to see justice. God will take care of it. God will will mete out justice perfectly. He will exact revenge perfectly in His time and in His way. And not only that, does judgment mean that God will make all things right, but eternity and judgment, it means that God will give answers to our questions. We all ask at times, why God? Why this car accident? Why this cancer? Why the death of the child? Why the alcohol or drug addiction? Why this? Why that? God will give answers to our questions and they will make perfect sense at that time. There is a day coming when every single one of us will say, 
Oh, okay. I get it. That makes perfect sense. You really didn't know what you were doing. Eternity reminds us of the great day of judgment. And this day of judgment means that God will make all things right. And that gives us hope. And then second, judgment gives my present actions meaning and weight. Judgment gives my present actions meaning and weight. If, if everything I do will be rewarded or not, that's going to affect me. It's going to affect how I live my life. If the way I spend my time will, will be such that it, it will lead to me someday hearing, well done or not, that's going to affect the way I live my life in a positive way. But this idea of eternity and judgment, it just means that everything will have its day in court. All thoughts, all words, all deeds. And it certainly leads me to being more circumspect. It leads me to want to live a, a more honorable life for the glory of the Lord. It means there will be accountability. Answers must be given. And again, that's good for the soul. Time and eternity. Humility and hope. And let me just say about hope. The, the greatest hope that we can have as we think about eternity and judgment in particular is that for Christians, we don't have to fear because that judgment has already taken place as it fell on Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to find oneself uh, standing underneath Him, letting His life, His death, His resurrection, His blood cover our sins, His righteousness give us righteous robes we could never earn on our own, rather than saying, no, I'll, I'll stand on my own two feet before the Lord. Don't do that. Don't, don't be saying, I'll... I'll I'll stand on my record before the Lord. No. That's where you have no hope. The, the idea of judgment is very scary if you don't know Christ. But if you've placed yourself under Him, you can rest assured because Jesus has received the judgment we deserve. Time <clears throat> and eternity. One leads to humility. One leads to hope. And it takes the gift of God to think rightly about God and man and life and death and time and eternity. And you receive that gift <clears throat> by just that, receiving it. You can't work to earn it. It's a gift from the Lord. Give your life in response to that to Christ. Repent of your sin. Receive His forgiveness. And submit to His authority over your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it really is a gift to be able to know You, the God of time and eternity. Lord, may each one of us know You more deeply as a result of thinking about time and eternity and as a result of this book, Ecclesiastes, Your Word. May, may, may each one of us come out of this book knowing You better. Through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen.
Let's sing as a hymn of response what you see here printed in your bulletin by faith. Let's stand together and sing. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.
the Lord has used this time today to stimulate your thinking, I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.